Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. It's time. It's time to have real, honest, open, difficult, and inspiring conversations. It's time for Love and Life on WURD, Progressive Black Talk Media. Family, I was sharing with you that I have another exciting, uh, well, you know, everybody's exciting. I believe in all of our stories. Yes, we are. We're exceptional. Uh, But I have another exceptional human being to introduce you to. A new family member. His name is Alexander, a.k.a. Alex Sharon, and he's a lawyer and author living in Southern California. He is the author of the book, The Mighty 690. It's a book that details a true event when an AM radio station in California hosted a treasure hunt for $50,000. What? <laughs> His work has been celebrated by the Los Angeles Press Club and He's been recognized nationally as a panelist on CNN and Fox News. Family, I invite you to the conversation with Alexander Sharon. Well, hello there, Alex. Hello and welcome. Thank you, Carol. That was a very warm introduction. I'm uh, proud to be a new member of the family, so thank you for welcome. Well, we love having you here. We, yes, we do. Well, now let me ask you. Now, is it okay to refer to you as Alex or should I call you Alexander? Alex is fine. Uh, only my mother refers to me as Alexander. And okay. My publishing title. <laughs> Alex is just fine. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. And once again, welcome. This story, first of all, it sounds so exciting to me, but it, it takes me to the, the movie. What, what was it? it was a, it's a mad, 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 mad world or something like that. The, the old movie. Do you remember going, that movie? Going way back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. It used to be one of my, it was one of my favorite movies growing up. It, I just thought it was so entertaining. But this story, uh, first of all, tell us about you, Alex, because I'm, I'm so, uh, I'm so excited to know about the book and about this story, but please share with our family members a little more about you. I really appreciate that. So born and raised in, uh, in Southern California, uh, at a time where, um, you know, Southern California is very much kind of going through a transition. So I am a, uh, a blue collar kid, uh, but grew up, um, you know, very blessed to, to grow up exposed to, um, a lot of different people, a lot of different backgrounds. Um, mm-hmm. and I really love the time and the place uh, where I grew up, schooled in Southern California, went to Midwest, uh, to the Midwest for college and came back to law school and practiced law for a number of years and realized that, um, it wasn't my thing. And so I got into, uh, uh politics instead. And, uh, do some consulting in that world, but always had a always had a, a need to write, and so that's sort of the latest chapter in my in my life book. I love it. You said I got into law. Now listen, it takes a lot to get into law because you just don't dip your toe in. You just don't jump into law and then jump out. You, oh my goodness, wow. Well, kudos to you, number one, for listening to you and for deciding to follow that path, because now you're here talking with us about your book. For how many law, for how many years were you in, in law, if you don't mind me asking? No, not at all. So I practiced for about 15 years and I was in the trenches. I was doing litigation in Southern California. So I was in court most days of the week and, you know, fighting with other lawyers and uh, yeah, really isn't the healthiest of lifestyles. And so mm-hmm. I was raising a family at the time. So obviously there was a need to do that. And 
make a living and put food on the table. But, um, sure. you know, when I got to a point in the career where I realized that my health and sort of my, my well-being was a little bit more important than, uh, you know, winning motions in, uh, in front of a judge, I made the decision to, you know, sort of transition and do something else. I do practice a little bit on the side. And like I said, I do some uh, consulting. I'm a partner in a firm in Los Angeles and we do some political consulting, but um, being a writer has always sort of been my aspiration. And now at the tender young age of 53, I'm able to do that. Yes. At the tender young age of 53. I love that. I'm going to put that in my pocket, Alex. <laughs> I'm going to hold on to that one. Well, you know, here on Love and Life, we are advocates of self-care. We are advocates of following one's own path. And um, we are supporters of one another, especially you know, when we were at the tender young age of 53 and uh, we talk about these changes that we make in life. I, I love it. I love it. So, OK, now, you know, I know I want to know all about this book. I've shared with you and our family members. How how did you come to this story? How did you come to write about this experience? This happened. This happened. Happening. Yeah, so that, this is inspired by actual events, as the as the book The Mighty Six Ninety mentions in the first couple of pages. So it was an actual AM radio contest that I listened to uh, in the summer of nineteen eighty one when I was ten years old, and it always stuck with me. It, um, you know, we we were sort of at a time and place where radio uh, was sort of everything. You know, TV uh, hadn't really taken off. I mean, you know, there were you know, six, seven channels, um, you know, back in mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. you know, big uh, urban setting, but there was no cable TV. There was no streaming. There was no internet. So radio was really hit. That's how you identified yourself. And I remember being fascinated as a kid and I grew up in Long Beach, California and Long Beach was a, um, a very diverse um, city and still is. In fact, I think it's by census track, one of the most diverse cities in the United States and very proud of that. Mm-hmm. I was exposed to, the effect and the impact that something like radio had to bring people together. Um, and so when radio stations like this would do contests and, you know, they did it so that they could boost ratings, but when they did these contests, I really watched and I observed on what an impact it had on people and an impact to bring people together. So I'll sure. write about that. I was reading just a little, um, just an excerpt about the individuals who were searching for this money and each one of their stories was such um each one of the individuals had a, a story of their own that was of huge interest to me though that is of huge interest to me um was that one of the things that drew you to this particular story absolutely absolutely and so you know this station the mighty 690 was an actual radio station and broadcast from Tijuana, Mexico. So even though the broadcast area, you know, throughout Southern California, the actual tower was south of the border and it had this huge radius, um, you know, that it, that it blasted music into. And so it hit every kid and listener from San Diego all the way up to the San Fernando Valley, which is just a, a huge area. And within that encompassed lots of people, lots of different backgrounds, um, socioeconomic, um, uh, you know, just a huge cross section of Southern California. But these people that are represented in the book, and again, this is a fictionalized account, mm-hmm. were all based on people that I grew up with or that I was exposed to. And I really wanted to sort of um, represent um, 
the beauty of sort of that cross-sectionality in Southern California at the time. I think it was one of the last times for me personally um, that a big metropolis like Los Angeles or Southern California was able to or get close enough to having all people kind of um, believe that they could share in um, a dream, uh-huh. uh, like money or uh-huh. getting a good job or moving to the suburbs or getting their kids well-educated, yeah. whatever. And I really wanted to represent that with these characters. How about that? You said in 1981. Yeah, it was about that time. <laughs> <laughs> it was, but I I don't know that um, I've heard of a contest since that has, you know, especially like this type of contest, a treasure hunt, if you will. Right, right. I, I don't know that I've heard of one since. Have you? No, I mean, they were very popular if you go all the way back to the, you know, the 50s and the 60s. And I touch on that a little bit in the book. But, you know, the, the, this concept of a radio contest assumes um, that you've got enough sort of centralized interest in mm-hmm. one or another. And, you know, the unfortunate or fortunate reality, depending on how you look at it, because there's lots of pros and cons, is in today's streaming world, I don't think you have that sort of um, that, that sort of centralization necessary to have a contest like that. Everybody, okay. so it's so stratified. Everybody can listen to or watch whatever they want on demand. And we don't have those water cooler conversations or these, you know, ideas or concepts like a radio contest that used to be. So were you able to uh, interview any of the individuals that were actually in this contest or, or the individuals about which you write? Such a great question. Um, so I, the, the, the book is based on an article that I wrote for the Orange County Weekly um, a few years ago, which was a fact-based article about the actual contest. And I was not able to, to locate any of the people who participated. Um, mm. It talks about that. I was, however, able to locate um, and talk to um, a gentleman named Ted Zeigenbush, who was the station director at the Mighty 690 at the time. And he walked me through um, that contest. So I was very fortunate to get to talk to him. I love that. I, you know, I was, as I was reading, because of course I went to uh, the website, I went to see, I said, okay, I need to know more about this. I need to know so much more again, because here we are. I don't know when the last time was that I, I heard of a station, a radio station offering that kind of money. Right. You know, and in this type of contest, usually it's as a result of some other type of contest, if you will. But for if you like a treasure hunt, you yeah. know, uh, something and, and it's been so, so, so long. And of course, as I shared with you, my mind went to the movie. You know, it's a mad, 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 mad world. And <laughs> we all know how how long ago that movie came right. out. So <laughs> we, we all know family for those of you who are just joining. Welcome. 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 You are tuned in to Love and Life with Carol Riddick right here on WURD, Progressive Black Talk Media, on air and online at wordradio.com. We are talking with Alex Sharon. We are talking about his novel. Yes, we are. So when you look for it, I'm going to share with you that his name will read Alexander Hamilton Sharon. I don't want you to look for Alex Sharon and say, well, Carol lied. She did not. (laughs) When you look For the novel, the novel is titled The Mighty 690, um, and it reads a novel by Alexander Hamilton Sharon. Um, I'm going to read a little of that, but before I do, 
Uh, well, I'm going to read a little bit of what I found. But uh, before I do, I'm going to share that our family members are checking in. Drina, hi, beautiful. Drina Ross shares that she is watching from the sweetest sides of Detroit, Michigan. Well, welcome. Welcome, beloved. Uh, Joey Dixon, one of our beloveds, is joining us as well, and he shares peace with all of us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joey. And you know we send it back to you as well. And Eric, Eric shares, hey, Alex, welcome to the Word Platform. I was a freshman in high school when this hunt was to take place. It's like a modern day reality TV show. It's pure brilliance to revisit such a nostalgic memory. It is. How about that? Because it doesn't, it just doesn't feel, you know, it doesn't seem like it's real. And again, like I, I keep referring to the movie because that was the, 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 that's the only um, reference that I have of, uh, uh, of an instance like this taking place. And you think of entertainment, you right. know, more right. so. So do we know who the actual, well, do we know if anyone found the money? And if so, who did? They did. And first of all, that that last comment, thank you so much for that. Shout out. That gives me such validation that other people remember that contest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and obviously had it had an impact all these years later. Um, as it turns out, uh, the, the cash, the, the, the prize at the end of the treasure hunt, was not actually cash as promised. It was a note uh, that said that, hey, call the radio station and we'll work out giving you the 50000 So this concept of having money buried in a sack where you had to dig it up um, did not happen. Um, I prefer uh, that it did happen, and that's not to give too much away, but that's obviously mm-hmm. what I write about in the book. But in the actual contest, um, you know, it was uh, a piece of paper that was hidden behind a license plate at the Redondo Beach, California Pier. And the last clue gave the whereabouts as to the car and the license plate. And if you flip the license plate, there was a note from the Mighty 690. It said, call the station during these hours and we'll coordinate meeting with you and you can come in and claim the $50,000. It was a note. Yes. Yeah. Sort of. A little disappointing if you're you know, thinking that there's going to actually be cash. A lot of disappointing. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> as a matter of fact, I'm feeling some disappointment right now as we're talking about it. I'm feeling disappointment for those individuals because I'm sure they did a lot. They did. I- no, they did. And, you know, you have to remember, too, this is a time, you know, in 1981, $50,000 is a lot of money. Uh, yes. When you yeah. don't have it, $50,000 is a lot of money, period. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, one of the, the things I try to, to, you know, get at in this book is, you know, this contest really appealed to people who um, wanted it because it was a novelty, right? A radio that I, station that I listened to was having a treasure hunt. But there was really a subsection of people in Southern California at that time that needed $50,000. And mm-hmm. I know that they listened to this station and I know they participated in this contest, not out of, not as a novelty, but, you know, out of a little bit of desperation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I try to tap into that a little bit in this book. You know, Southern California, you know, gets portrayed, you know, in popular culture and TV and film around the 1980s as being the golden state. You know, the sure. dream and the California dream sort of at an intersection at a crossroads. And it was that to some extent. But there was a little bit of a dark um, underbelly to Southern California at that time because that dream didn't work out for a lot of people. Wow. Yeah. You know, uh, I really, again, wanted to kind of tap into that, that thought for the book. Mm, 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 mm. 
uh, one of my friends, she texted me. She said, I knew it. I knew it. I knew that they weren't going to find the money. I knew it was, I knew there was going to be something to this story. <laughs> I was so hopeful, Alex. I was so hopeful. You were going to say, no, they found it. There was a suitcase. There was a, a, a you know, a briefcase. Or a double Adult, you know, something, you know, I was so hoping I'm so mad. She just texted me. She said, I knew it with all of these exclamation marks. Well, <laughs> you know, the, the, in my article in the OC Weekly tried to touch on this. Sometimes the way we remember these, these events um, aren't, you know, factually accurate, but I don't know if we're any worse off for them not being factually accurate. In fact, I think sometimes we're better off having remembered them in a certain way that may not be true. Um, you know, it helps perpetuate a narrative and a, and a, you know, a dream in this sense. So, um, you know, I'm, it's more important that people think that there's $50,000 buried in cash than maybe in actuality. No, we want the fifty thousand, <laughs> Alex. We don't. We don't want the smoke That's and good. mirrors. You know, listen. You know That's what? Good. Malcolm shares. Look, he he shares. I could use fifty grand now. Right. <laughs> yeah. We don't want a note, Alex. We don't want the thought. We <laughs> Gary is joining us. Hi there, Gary. Gary Bryant, one of our beloveds. <clears throat> he shares good evening with the entire family. And we received that. Thank you so, 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 so much. Family, we are talking with Alex Jaron. Um, we're talking about his novel titled The Mighty 690. And this novel is about... Well, it actually details the true event when an AM radio station in California hosted a treasure hunt for $50,000. This was back in 1981 before anybody says when, because I don't want to give the false impression that it was any time <laughs> close to today. But uh, this book, what I did do was go to uh, the web the website. And if I might read this paragraph, if that's okay with you, Alex, it reads a Holocaust survivor facing eviction, <clears throat> a schoolboy struggling with his identity, a single mother who is on the verge of being exposed for embezzlement and a speedway daredevil whose bruised body and fragile ego are beyond repair. All find themselves scouring the Southern California landscape for $50,000 in buried cash, the grand prize of a struggling AM radio stations contest. Unknown to each other, but bonded by a common desire for redemption, each is a willing participant in a treasure hunt caught between nostalgia and desperation. That right there. Oh, I have so many questions. Family, listen, it's time for us to take just a short commercial break. But when we come back... Um, I'm going to ask my questions. I know you probably have questions as well. Don't forget, the phone lines are still open and you can feel free to give us a call at 215-634-8065. You can even call us toll free at 1-866-361-0900. And don't forget that uh, uh, you feel free to comment on our socials. I will do my best to read it aloud on the air. Whatever you do, though, Stay with us because we're coming right back. You're listening to Love and Life with Carol Riddick on WURD, Progressive Black Talk Media. 
Hey there, family. We are back. Welcome back to Love and Life with Carol Riddick right here on WURD. We are talking with Alex Charon, and we are talking specifically in this hour about his novel titled The Mighty 690. So before the break, I was sharing with you a little excerpt Well, that was read about the novel itself. Now, I have the, the burning question for me is Alex was there like any um, research done to find out? Because Okay, let me tell you. When I read this, what I thought about was the fragility of each one of those individuals um, after the contest. That's what first came to me because as it shares, you know, they're all participants in the treasure hunt caught between nostalgia and desperation. I can only imagine how broken how severely disappointed and traumatized, you know, the individuals were from participating in this contest and not having been the recipients or not having won this $50,000. Do you, do we know anything about the individuals after the contest? So, you know, obviously it's, it's, I know um, about these characters because it, it created them. Um, and I try, I did, you know, it's, it's a great question, Carol. I'm so glad you brought that up because I, really want, I really struggled with, should I do an epilogue um, at the end of this book or should I just mm-hmm. stop when one of the characters finds the money or doesn't find the money? I don't know. Sure. Um, and I thought it was important for exactly the reasons you brought up to do a little bit of an epilogue. There is life um, for these characters after some of them don't find the money. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not only that they don't find it, it's the repercussions that come with that, but, you know, as we all do, you know, we tend to put a lot of stock um, into our hopes and dreams. Mm-hmm. They don't come to fruition. Um, you know, there's a very uh, human element uh, that is revealed. Um, and, you know, we either, uh, you know, go into despair or we move on. Sure. Um, I think all these characters, or at least the ones that didn't find the money are, are faced with that. And, Again, these are fictional characters, but they're all based on people that I knew as a child um, and certainly right around that time where the contest took place. And you hit the nail right on that. They are all fragile. Mm-hmm. And, and, and fra- fragility to me and the way that I observed these these characters, at least the people that they're based on, you know, wasn't necessarily a bad thing. I think it's what made them human. And I think right. it's what, it what made them uh, unique to that time and, and place Southern California. And again, that's, that's my home. So I write about what I, what I know about was also a very fragile place. And so sure. to have these characters reflect that. Mm-hmm. I want to share that Nicole P. Hello, beloved. She's joining us and she shares good evening, love and life family. Happy to be here with you all. Welcome, Alex. The novel sounds really, really interesting. Thank you, Nicole. It, it is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that much. I know I'm biased. Um, you have every I, right to be. <laughs> I that. But, you know, again, I struggled a little bit for people to, I, I wanted people to find this interesting that didn't grow up in that time or that place. Mm. Um, because I know, you know, and you made reference earlier to the, to the film, it's a mad, mad, mad world. And, mm-hmm. you know, so we grew up in a time where we knew, um, you know, uh, those things, but, you know, this generation maybe doesn't know that. And so sure, sure. I wanted to make it a little, I wanted to make it as palatable as I could and as interesting as I could for people who didn't know 
what Southern California was like in 1981. And that last comment really made my day. So I'm glad it's oh, good. Well, she actually follows with another comment. She shares a little <laughs> off topic. Uh, she's interested in shifting from her current profession to writing. Uh, she shares, I would like to start working on a book very soon. Do you have any advice that you can share? I, I have a little tear coming to my eye because oh. this, this, this was me asking that question <laughs> about four years ago. And oh, now wow. I'm on the other side of that. And so it, it's, I, I take that question very seriously and I, I appreciate that it was asked. Uh, my advice to you is just write, whether it's a sentence a day, whether it's two sentences a day, whether it's a paragraph a week, um, to just start writing. Um, you know, get what's, you know, motivating you or what is inspiring you to write out on paper. Does it, does it need to be perfect? It doesn't even need to be good. It just needs to be on the paper. And so, you know, start writing, start writing, start writing. That's my best advice. You said that was a question that you asked about four years ago. Alex, I read that your work had been recognized by the Los Angeles Press Club, where you were nominated as Journalist of the Year in 2020. That was four years ago. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's it's, a lot's happened quickly. I mean, I... no, no, please. I'm so that's my excitement speaking, but please do do tell. <laughs> so I, you know, I was I was practicing law, you know, um, and, and consulting, um, which I still do. So again, this was always I considered kind of a side gig or side hustle, mm-hmm. from a choice. Um, and in 2017, 18, you know, a, a, a friend who was our kids uh, went to school together happened to be the editor for. Um, the OC Weekly, uh, mm-hmm. which was a mid-sized publication out in Southern California, and on a on a whim, just told them, "Hey, you know, if you ever need have some blank space and you're willing to take, you know, a risk on, you know, a recovering lawyer who's never written, let me know." Right. And he actually took me up on that, and so you know, my very first piece was this article, the Mighty Six Ninety, but I had six or seven other articles, all written about pop culture history in California. Um, you know, and I uh, was very fortunate to have uh, uh, asked him that question. I'm glad that he said yes. And it's a big shout out to him. His name is Nick Shaw, and uh, he's an award winning journalist in his own right. In fact, he wrote a book called Kill the Messenger, which was made into a film starring uh, Jeremy Renner. So if you've ever seen that movie, uh, my buddy Nick Shaw, who gave me my break, was the one who wow. wrote that book. Was based. Wow. Well, thank you, Nick. Thank you, yeah. thank you, thank you very much. And Nicole, Nicole P shares thank you as well. Malcolm is clowning me. I see you, Malcolm. Malcolm shares that movie. Carol is talking about it is ancient. Yes, yes, it is. It is ancient. But I love that movie. Hey, I will. T- I will tell you, it's a great movie in nineteen sixty three with all due. That's a good movie, Malcolm. What are you talking about? That's a good movie. <laughs> and you did not have to put ancient in all caps. <laughs> you did not have to throw me completely under the bus. Okay. <laughs> but I love that movie. I so love it. Um, Eric shares, this reminds me from back in the 80s. Um, there was an AM radio station here in Philadelphia that used to do the Ellery Queen Minute Mysteries. Really? The public had to solve the mystery from a clip played by the host for various prizes. He shares it definitely wasn't $50,000, but it was a smart idea to have callers join in. I don't even remember that. Wow. I don't even remember that. 
<laughs> Malcolm, you were always clowning me. That is hilarious. Look, we got my eye tearing. That's so funny. I, was, <laughs> I watched that movie. I can I cannot tell you how many times I watched that movie because it was so entertaining. Right. It was no, so entertaining to me. No, I you know, and I try to. I, there's a little bit of this reference in 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 the in the book in the Mighty Six Ninety, but you know, I, I'm a firm believer in the fact that you know. Music, whether it's music or whether it's it's film or television or whatever whatever your art form is, you know everything today is um, you know just a twist on something that's already been done. And so, mm-hmm. you know, old movies are great, and every movie you see now, um, I guarantee you, has been done before in some kind of form. And this some is a new artist taking, taking their spin on it. But um, um, big shout out to to the films of 1963. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at that. Malcolm came back under a big W with palm trees. That's right. That's That's what I'm talking about, Malcolm. That's what I'm talking about. He said, I saw it too. That's right. That's right. Because it was such a good movie. It was like, really, really. I'm I'm so curious. Family, for those of you who have just joined us, welcome, welcome, welcome. You've missed Malcolm clowning me. You've also missed uh, the conversation that we've been having with our guest, our new family member in this hour. His name is Alex Sharon. Um, and I should remind you that if you go to look for his novel, you should be looking for Alexander Hamilton Sharon. I want to be clear on that. Um, that's C-H-E-R-I-N for those of you who are listening and uh, are not actually watching. So you know that the correct spelling of his name. But this novel about which we speak in this hour is titled The Mighty 690. And you said that was the, the station that was the, the uh, call. That was the call numbers for the station at the yeah, time. Call numbers of the station. And it's, you know, it, the, the station itself it was around since the 19, late 1950s, early 1960s. And it's gone through various iterations. But yeah, at the time it was the mighty six. So in, in your your own opinion, what effect would you say this treasure hunt had on, on just working class people? I don't know if this it's a great question. And I don't know if this treasure hunt, you know, was as, um, you know, had 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 it, you know, an impact as much as, you know, sort of the radio movement did. And, and you know, this contest was just sort of a, um, a manifestation of how important radio was in the late 70s and early 80s. And, you know, it, it's really, as we talked about at the beginning of the hour, it's sort of really how you identified yourself with other people back in those days. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, radio stations were everything. Um, you know, in, in, I'm sure Philadelphia was very similar to, to Los Angeles. You had at that time, you know, a little bit of a, a transition in, in music. So you had, you know, your traditional rock and roll stations. You had, you know, some jazz stations that, you know, maybe weren't as popular as they should have been. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, you, you had, believe it or not, in Southern California in, in 80, 81, you started to have the very beginnings of some you know, hip hop stations like ADAY, which is still around today, which played music that none of the other stations would play. Mm. Um, uh, you know, so you, you really, it, radio was important. So to answer your question, I don't know if this contest in particular had, had as large an impact as did just the radio landscape in the night. Mm. Thank you for that. How about that? I, I, Thank you for that. Huh. Uh, Eric shares, it sounds like the movie Rat Race. 
They remade it based on Mad Mad World. I remember that. I remember that. But you know, I love the original. It's a mad, <laughs> mad, mad, mad world. You, you've heard me say it about 10 times already. <laughs> Our beloved Cheryl is joining us. Hi, beautiful. Cheryl Hicks Lucas, that is. And she shares good evening family. Cheryl, you missed it. Malcolm was clowning me. And uh, we've been talking with Alexander Hamilton Sharon, who is the author of the book, The Mighty 690. Um, before I say another word, I'm going to ask if you can share with our family members where we can find the novel. I've been talking so much about it I, and have I a share. I appreciate that. Yeah, you can, you, you can go to my website and buy it directly at alexandersharon.com. And it's obviously available at Barnes & Noble. Um, and if you have to, you can buy it on Amazon. Uh, and it's, uh, you do a Google search and it's available on about 10 different sites, but, um, you can go to my website directly, alexandercharon.com, uh, Barnes and Noble or amazon.com. I love it. So family, for those of you who are joining us by way of socials, I did just put that in the chat. So you will see, uh, Alex's website listed in the chat. And you know what? I'm going to type the title of, um, the book. How about that? So you can say, what does she say? Appreciate mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I am. Um, I'm curious to know when I read the schoolboy struggling with his identity. And I'm thinking, and well, that was 81. Would that have been sexual identity? Would that have just been him as a human being who just. It's a great question. So that without revealing too much, that character is loosely based on myself. <laughs> oh. And, uh, no wonder you shook your head. No, you said no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. But that's, <laughs> um, I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's okay. I, I grew up, you know, we talked about Long Beach, California um, back in the day being a very diverse place. You know, my family is, I was raised Jewish and we were one of the only Jewish families, um, you know, certainly in our neighborhood. And mm. uh, as that ring grew bigger, you know, we were one of, only a few Jewish families in the immediate neighborhood. And, you know, that was always um, a tough thing for me growing up and uh, going to school. Um, and so when I talk about this particular character struggling with his identity, you know, he's very much, um, or, you know, what would have been a typical 10, 11, 12 year old boy mm -hmm. to public school in Southern California who happened to be Jewish and having to wrestle with that and finding out where to fit in. Um, sure. he, he's all, this character is also torn between sort of his religious identity in the sense that, you know, he goes to a, a temple, um, which is way up in Los Angeles. And at this time he, like many others now live in the suburbs. And so he struggles with that a little bit too. So when we talk about struggling with identity for that particular character, it really has to do with, um, you know, where does, a uh, you know, schoolboy who's 11, you know, in the suburbs of Los Angeles fit in uh, as a Jew? Uh, mm -hmm. and how does he reconcile that with the things that he hears and sees around him? So I'm curious because of these individuals that were specifically um, described to us, were they chosen? Or That's interesting. Um, I think, I mean, I chose them. Um, because I wanted, you know, the four or five characters that most that, that most accurately represented my lens of the way that mm. I saw that particular place and time. And so you've got um, Aug, the character Augie, who is a, a eighty year old 
plus um, Holocaust survivor who works as a janitor um, in the, the temple that Jason, the, the, the younger character, attends for Hebrew school. And that Augie was very much based on um, a, a real-life person who was a, a janitor at the temple that I attended in Long Beach, California. He was a Holocaust survivor. And, you know, we being naive 10 and 11-year-old kids, you know, knew that he had numbers tattooed on his arm, but never mm. really why or what that meant or, you know, learn from that. And I always regret And so I wanted to do him justice by making him a character in this book. And then Sally Lang is very much based on a, a, a single mother that I knew growing up. And she didn't do the things that um, she's described doing in the book. Um, but, you know, she represented a lot of, you know, sort of struggling single moms um, in Southern California trying to realize the dream at the time. And then the motorcycle racer, Danny's very much based on a, a daredevil who I would go see at the Costa Mesa Speedway um, in Orange County, California as a kid and kind of represented the thrill and the hopes of, you know, what this sort of prototypical all-American male could be in the early mm-hmm. 90s. All with all fallible characters and all relatable characters. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for that. Thank you so much, Alex. Family, listen, it's time for us to take another commercial break. But, um, you know, I have more questions for Alex. So stay with us because we're going to continue this conversation when we come back. We'll be right back. You're listening to Love and Life on WURD, progressive black talk media. I think I know. Well, hey there, family. Welcome back. You are tuned in to Love and Life with yours truly, Carol Riddick, right here on WURD. We are talking with Alex Charon in this hour, and we are talking about his novel titled The Mighty 690. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. I do want to share that Eric shares that this book sounds absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for Digging up such a cool piece of real radio history. It really is pure genius for real. <laughs> Appreciate that. I love it. Appreciate that. So, Alex, I, I'm listening to you talk with us about the individuals that um, you chose to share with us. And I'm curious to know, especially when you, you talk about the gentleman who was 80 years of age, at what lengths did they go to find this treasure? So, you know, in, in, in reality, I, you know, Augie, who again was based on a real character, um, you know, had a, 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 these vivid memories of walking the halls of the temple in Long Beach, California, where I went to Hebrew school and, you know, had this little closet and he had a radio and, and always imagined what he listened to and if he listened to stations like this and, you know, what would it be like if he participated in a, in a radio contest and, so I really brought that sort of imagination to to the book, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it, in the novel, you know, again, these characters get pretty close, um, and they go to they go to you know great lengths to figure out the clues. They you know they fall back on pieces of their own history to figure out some of the clues, and you know some of them end up being ironic, um, mm-hmm. some of them just dumb luck. Uh, that they figure out um, where these clues kind of lead them, um, you know, but I really wanted to portray uh, a novel where people um, get close to their dreams um, and maybe don't realize them in the immediate sense, uh-huh. uh, but, you know, maybe some good comes of it afterwards. So as we were talking about what are the repercussions for, um, you know, the people who don't find it, you know, and, 
And I think like all of us, and, you know, again, this is not unique to Southern California and, you know, sort of the California dream as I keep referring to, but, you know, a lot of us have to learn, live with, you know, well, maybe we didn't realize the California dream in the way that, you know, most people see it or the way that it's portrayed, you know, in pop culture. But, you know, we all have to reconcile what the California dream or what the American dream means for us. And maybe uh-huh. you know, even though we don't have the car that's advertised on TV or, you know, the, the, the TV family, you know, we've got something that has a little bit more meaning to us individually. So I really wanted to kind of portray that in the book. No, thank you for that. Thank you for that. I'm, I'm curious to know about the daredevil because the way he's described the speedway daredevil whose bruised body and fragile ego are beyond repair. It's a, he's a great character and he is absolutely based on, 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 a, a real person. And I'll give you a little bit of a, a background on that. And that in, you know, I was born in 1970. And so starting in probably the late 1970s, um, my father and a very good neighbor friend would take all the kids on Saturday nights down to the Orange County fairgrounds. Um, and they, they had what they called coast, the Costa Mesa Speedway. And you can Google it. It's still around and still operating. Thank goodness. Um, but it was a series of motorcycle races done in an oval track. Uh, and it's based on a uh, type of motorcycle racing that, um, that was very popular in the UK and other places in Europe. And it was ridden, these motorcycles were ridden uh, by riders. Um, and they did four or five laps. These motorcycles had no brakes. Um, and they ran on alcohol. And so you could smell the fumes from miles away. And it was, you know, it really wouldn't pass safety standards. <laughs> as yeah, know. I'm listening. Like, wait a minute, what now? <laughs> so, you know, if you if you remember, you know, the days of Evil Knievel and mm-hmm. Daredevil mentality from the 70s, it really was that, but on a local grassroots level. And we used to, man, we used to watch with wonder these men right around this track and just hurl themselves into the wall and break their bones and get carted away in animals is all for the entertainment of that crowd in Orange County, California. And it was just something special. Um, it was, you know, you romanticize about these daredevils and that's kind of what it was. So this particular character was based on a, on a motorcycle racer named Danny Becker, uh, who was, um, uh, known for crashing better than any others. And, you know, even though we would applaud and, and, you know, just kind of look and wonder, you know, I would, I would marvel at, you know, I wonder what that does to this man's ego, mm-hmm. knowing that he's popular for crashing into the walls as opposed to winning races. And, you know, he was a good human being and I was able to, to, to hunt down his daughter many, many years later. And he unfortunately passed away a few years ago. Um, and, uh, but he, he was, you know, we all have these childhood heroes, you know, he was one of mine. And so I was very mm-hmm. lucky to get the right about him in this book. I so appreciate your sensitivity to these individual human beings. And I, I anticipate reading uh, that sensitivity in your book. If you would not mind sharing with our family members one more time where we can find uh, the book and sharing all of the pertinent information with us. Appreciate that. So the book, the official launch and publication date of the book is actually tomorrow, uh, February 20th. And you can buy the book. Uh, at, directly at my website at Alexander Charon, that's C-H-E-R-I-N.com, or uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, and if you have to, on Amazon. 
I love it. He said, if you have to, okay, if you just absolutely have to. <laughs> available, available now and uh, official publication date tomorrow. I love that. I love that. Family, that is Alexander. Well, I should make it clear too when you're searching because uh, I keep referring to him. I keep referring to our guest as Alex Sharon. But when you're searching for the book, the name you will be searching for is Alexander Hamilton Sharon. So that there are no qualms. I don't want you to say, Carol, you did not tell me. <laughs> because we are making sure you know. And again, once again, uh, the proper and correct spelling of his last name is C-H-E-R-I-N. And for those of you who are just joining a short while ago, I did add his website into the chat, but I'm going to say it aloud again for those who might want to write it down. And for those of you who might say, let me, let me chase, you know, see if I can find it. It's www.alexandercharon.com. Eric shares best of luck. Barnes and Noble will have it for sure. They sure will. They sure will. And we can't wait to grab a copy of it. We thank you so much for coming to spend some time, spending your time, your energy, your attention, um, your spirit and your knowledge with us. Alex, we welcome you to the family. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Will you come back to visit with us sometime again? Anytime. It's been a great discussion and appreciate you. And uh, yeah, anytime you want to have me back, please let me know. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm still stuck on uh, you being nominated as Journalist of the Year in 2020. I'm still stuck. I'm so stuck on that. I, I appreciate that. It uh, it came as a little bit of a shock to some of my partners at work who said, wait a minute, right <laughs> on the side? What, what's going on? <laughs> um, I'm sure they did. Yes, yes. But it was uh, it really gave me good motivation to keep writing. So I appreciate that. You know what I should have asked? That's what I should have asked of the partners and, and those with whom you work in a completely and totally different field, how they must have been taken aback when they when they read this or were made aware. Well, they've been very supportive and they understand that this Good. is this is a, a passion of mine. And it's, um, um, you know, something I do to uh, to relieve stress during the uh, or from the uh, the day to day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they I think the. In the end, it's made me a better partner to them, and it's mm-hmm. made me consultant professionally because I feel like I've got my creative outlet and I've been able to do something with it. Now, I'm, this, I'm so happy for you. Uh, once again, kudos to you for listening, listening to your spirit and following your passion. You know, I, like I shared, we are an advocate here and we are supporters of self-care and doing just that following one's own journey. So congratulations to you once again. We hope you will come to visit with us soon. Malcolm shares, this was such a great segment and story. So thank you again. Our family members are enjoying your story, uh, are looking forward to picking up the book. Uh, I mean, I don't think it gets any better, Alex. I don't think it gets any better. I appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) So we will see you next time alex right here on love and life okay carol thank you very much thank you thank you you've been listening to word radio on demand listen live at 96.1 fm 900 am and online at wordradio.com